Welcome to From Heartache to Healing and Hope with your host, Bernadette Winters-Bell, LMSW. This podcast explores the many layers of life through the lens of loss and grief, often with special guests who share their perspectives on this universal yet unique process. These explorations can offer you, the listener, avenues to encourage you to have these conversations with yourself, your family, your community, your world. Welcome to From Heartache to Healing and Hope. In this series, Same Storm, Different Boats, I'm so pleased that I can offer you what an interesting podcast and interview with my guest, Peter Gersensang. Peter is a New York man. He was born, brought up in a small upstate town, Grand Gorge, New York, and went on to become a lawyer here in Albany, New York, and gone on to start a law firm, huge. And he's one of four, only four in all of New York State, board certified attorneys in the area of DUI law. He's written the book that is the reference book used by attorneys and all others in need of information in this particular field. He continues to grow and learn and teach and share, suffer like we all do, the difficulties of not being able to be social, whether it's professional or personally, or see your grandchildren. Here is a man who has been able to tell us all how his experience been. I can't wait for you to see this podcast. Thank you. Welcome, Peter, to From Heartache to Healing and Hope. It's a pleasure to have you as my guest on today's podcast entitled Same Storm, Different Boats. So, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you. So, would you be so kind as to um, introduce yourself to my audience, um, all your different experiences and your background? Okay. Well, I'm Peter Gersten Zhang. I'm an attorney in Albany. I've been practicing law for north of 45 years. Um, I was, um, I graduated Albany Law School. I went into the United States Army. I served in Vietnam. I left uh, the military uh, with the rank of captain and went into the Albany County DA's office where I was an assistant DA for three years. Um, and while I was there, I taught at the New York State Police Academy and got involved with doing a lot of training for police, prosecutors, judges, and defense attorneys. Oh. And in 1987, I published a book, uh, or had the book published, uh, uh, of handling the DWI case in New York. I am married to Karen Gerstenzang, who's my law partner. I have three, four kids, three of whom are criminal defense attorneys. And the smart one is in business in Singapore. <laughs> that wraps me up. Well, so it wasn't um, obligatory that they had to go into the family business then. <laughs> well, we were quite surprised. We never thought any of them uh, were going to do that. But, uh, you know, you, you never know what's going to happen. Well, isn't that the truth? For sure. Um, so when the pandemic hit in the beginning of 2020, um, how did that initially affect your business? 
Um, well, pretty much closed everything down uh, because the uh, we do criminal defense and the police essentially uh, stopped, or I shouldn't say stopped making arrests, but the arrests were um, down dramatically. So there was I th very little, uh, anything going on. And I think that was true for lawyers uh, across the state as far as uh, uh, their practices, because uh, basically nothing was happening. They sure. closed down the courts in terms of any in-person appearances. When was that, in March? Yeah, March, yeah. April, May. Yeah. Uh, now we're going back because of the, the renewed spread of COVID, where the chief judge is uh, cutting ended jury trials the other day and also the formation of grand juries which are formed to consider evidence and decide whether somebody should be accused of serious crimes right yeah i heard that any uh, trial ongoing can continue just nothing new can be started exactly right exactly. wow so initially everything was shut down uh your law practice as others and many other businesses um and were you working at home from then? How, what did that time look like for you? Um, well, pretty much. Uh, I think what happened to all of us, and it's one of the few good things that's come out of this, is we started using technology that's been out there, but that was underutilized and that we you know, never needed to learn it. Like you and I are having this conversation on Zoom. Right. Um, that was unheard of. Uh, in the past, but now you could just as well be a town or village judge, and I we could have a third person, the, a defendant, and we could easily conduct an arraignment. Uh, the defendant could be advised of all their rights, and so much stuff can be done now remotely. And I think that we hopefully, when this ends with the vaccines and like that that we come away with the idea of using the technology to avoid in-person appearances, um, aside from disease spread, simply economy of saving money and time by using this, this technology. Yes, imagine that someone needed to go to court um, and only could say, I can Zoom during my lunch hour or my afternoon break, not take a whole day off from work, say for instance, and then drive somewhere and may not even have the money for transportation or other such items. Sure, you could see where it'd be a real help in situations like that. But also for the attorneys, you know, you don't necessarily have to be going to court, although it's good to see people. What do you think you'd lose by doing more of those, say via Zoom? Well, you put you just put your finger on on part of the joy of, of at least for lawyers of practicing law and courtroom lawyers is going to court and talking with and seeing other lawyers and uh, just conversing with people in general. Um, trial lawyers tend to be a sociable uh, sort, and uh, so that that would be a very big drawback. But in terms of getting things done, the efficiency uh, it's incredible what you can get done where you do it you know by re remotely by using this technology um, absolutely i think that piece that you just said is a piece many people are struggling with which is how to hold both the efficiency 
um, and ease of Zoom with losing this sociability and connecting with people, which is so important also. Yeah, that is very, very tough. And I think that's creating all kinds of problems in terms of emotional problems, all kinds of issues, because people, you know, humans are social animals yes. and they're being, you know, denied contact uh, with each other. Obviously the, the bands have the, you know, directing that have not been too successful because uh, I mean, it's crazy that the United States of America, you know, one of the most advanced nations on the planet has the most COVID cases. So that's a real statement about our population and about its willingness to follow any kind of regimen. And it's so difficult when control is taken out of people's hands, the different ways that they respond. Um, and so COVID doesn't um, make any distinctions between ethnicities or cultures or genders or religions or anything else, whether you're the defendant, the judge, or the attorney, you know, it'll right. visit anyone that allows it. Absolutely. Right. And that yeah. makes that difficult there for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's staggering. And I don't think any of us really get it um, in terms of what has happened to us. You're talking what, 240,000, I think at this point. I think that's about the um, number, yeah. You know, we were all blown away by the 50,000 uh, uh, people we lost in Vietnam. Right. Uh, this, I think, is a, basically societally, we haven't really, we hear the numbers on television, they're not sinking in. I suspect, though, as time goes on, uh, this is going to really hit the national psyche as to what a horrible disaster this was and how little we did about it. You know, it's interesting that sometimes we need that uh, time to go to have retrospective look on things like that, um, on the deaths, because when you say the number 50,000 died in Vietnam, which many of us watched on our television screens or heard about it later and watched on the computer, um, that number now seems small compared right. to what we're looking at now. And when you hear the number is bigger than maybe World War II or World War One, you know, that just that thought is mind blowing, you know, to consider that, absolutely. Yeah. So how long were you shut down in the business until you could reopen again? Well, we weren't, we were never shut down in terms of uh, the office was shut down. Okay. But, um, you know, don't forget laws and abstraction. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically beliefs that a, uh, a nation has agreed upon. So it doesn't really require a physical uh, reality. Um, so, you know, I, just like I'm talking to you uh, and I'm not in the office, uh, I'm on the phone, cell phone with, with clients all the time. The court appearances were either being waived or we were doing them via, you know, a Zoom. Mm -hmm. And so that really wasn't the problem. The, the, the issue was simply that uh, the police had taken a step back naturally, particularly at that point, because we knew much less than we know now. Right. And um, it was, you know, you, you got to be crazy to risk your life, you know, uh, to pull somebody over for speeding, right. unless they represent a clear or eminent, you know, danger to people. Right. 
Plus, there's probably with less people out on the road, less people oh, yeah. driving. They weren't going to work. Um, maybe only going to the grocery store once every two weeks. There was just a, a lot less of many different activities. Absolutely. Um, through your work, did you learn of, um, as time went on, more uh, DUIs happening because of people reacting, say, to the pandemic? A, a more occurring uh, because of, as a reaction to the pandemic? Mm -hmm. Or just during this time period? I didn't, didn't notice, but that doesn't mean they weren't because we're talking, the way we become aware is the people who get arrested. Right. Okay. And contrary to popular belief, that's a thin blue line out there. And so consequently, you could have people driving uh, habitually for DWI and never getting stopped. Um, you know, so uh, it's really has to do with the activity of law enforcement um, going out, stopping cars, et cetera, as far as that goes. Uh, so with the, the law enforcement stepping back, uh, there could have been an awful lot of people out there. I mean, I guess I'd have to look to see what's the uptake in accidents and serious physical injury and stuff, whether there was or was not during that period. Right. So I know that the uh, numbers show that there has been an, um, an increase in alcoholism and drug use and oh. domestic violence. And so I was bringing that forward thinking, um, you know, that could also mean DUIs and DWIs could have increased, you know. Well, the, the, the key is where the bar, where the bars they could go to open uh, were people receptive to seeing them under COVID. In other words, they may have just been stuck drinking at home or using drugs at home. Right. But I agree with you. I mean, this has created all kinds of, of depression. First of all, the lack of human contact. Secondly, all these 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 people who were just you know lost their jobs lost their income uh you know uh their savings everything that they've worked hard for it's completely demoralizing so i think we we have a large part of our population that are depressed demoralized and uh you know worried about whether they can feed their family Absolutely. And again, back to the lack of control. If you can't see an end to something, like for instance, if we were to say or to hear uh, COVID will have a vaccine and be distributed to everyone by February 15th, 2021, just as an example, then people are like, okay, how long is that away? I could do it till then. Then they could begin to make plans. But when things are unknown, like, how long do I have to go on with this? And can I stay in my house in my apartment? Can I feed my children? You know, and there's the other group. Well, there's many groups, but one group is where people still have jobs, but everybody's working from home. So I know of a family where the daughter goes to school. They set up a desk area in her room. The son is in the basement. The mother is in the sunroom, her office, and I think the father's in the garage. And so mm -hmm. this is the way they have to operate, two of them to go to work and two of them to go to school. And they meet apparently at the bathrooms in the kitchen. Um, and it's a whole different world for them, you know? Um, and they don't see their classmates or their workmates or all sorts of other people they used to see. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that that creates all kinds of, of issues. Also, just the, the fact of families having to uh, spend a lot more time together than they did in the past. That's the good news, bad news. <laughs> what? That's the good news and the bad news. <laughs> well, I think it's a lot of I think it's a lot of adjusting of, of people, um, you know, trying to uh, um, basically uh, be with their kids and entertain their kids uh, in ways that they did not uh, do before. So, sure. so I think now grandparents has been a busy time. And and so how many grandchildren do you have? um four lovely lovely and how is this time change for between you and your grandchildren um well it's been interesting we've been doing a lot more babysitting uh <laughs> that's before, and uh like that so that's that's been uh uh fun and yes. uh you know interesting that's that's the great achilles heel for my generation of people who are grandparents because you can be careful in everything. You can, you know, obviously we don't go any place without masks. We're not going into stores, uh, you know, for any length of time and only when we have to. And just typically avoiding uh, contact because it is so dangerous. Right. But to forfeit uh, spending time with your grandchildren is very, very difficult. So I think that's the great vulnerability for seniors are uh, grandchildren. Especially if uh, the proximity, if they're not close to one another geographically. Um, and so visiting them um, down south or in California is, you know, not, a, not doable at this time, not safe. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. What would you say personally or professionally has been the hardest part of all of this for you? Professionally? Um, well, actually, I mean, the the only thing which was minor was uh, learning to use Zoom. I do a lot of lecturing, so right. I'm used to the interaction with the audience. So my, yes. All my lectures are interactive. People are encouraged to ask questions. I ask questions of the audience. It's a very interactive kind of thing. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting here like I am talking to you, uh, looking at a laptop uh, and not having the feedback I'm getting from you or being able to see you. But, you know, talking for 75 minutes, uh, occasionally we'll get some questions, but you can't see your audience, you can't, you have no interaction. So that was an adjustment, um, doing that. Um, didn't take long after the, the first couple, you kind of you get used to it, you imagine the audience and um, you just, you know, proceed. But it takes a lot of the joy out of it. There's no question because you just don't have that human interaction. Absolutely. And your teachings, uh, what do your audience normally comprise of? What kind of people? Um, mostly, uh, well, the, the gamut of the criminal justice system. The last two lectures, one was for the New York State Bar Association. The other, and these are just like last week, the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Um, but uh, typically, I do an awful. I do lectures for the New York State uh, Magistrates Association, the town and village judges, uh, for uh, police and prosecutors. In the past, I did uh, the training for the New York City Police Department and the New York City uh, Criminal Court, and the DAs of the five boroughs. So, um, 
you know, so teaching has always been a kind of a passion for me. And, um, you know, I'm loyal to the system. I want, I want to see good prosecution, good law enforcement, good defense. And that's what makes the system really work. Absolutely. And teaching, I so understand that because to share the joy and the passion and the knowledge is like almost everything. Have you seen um, any changes in what people are asking you to speak about or lecture about? Well, I've always gotten, you know, interesting requests. Uh, uh, you know, I enjoy speaking and it's obvious to people. So they'll ask me to speak uh, sometimes on things I didn't know anything about. Like, you know, decades ago, I got asked to teach dram shop law for liquor dealers. And I didn't know anything about it, but I researched it. And it's like anything else, you research it and you come up with it. Right. And uh that was a fun audience i'm telling you <laughs> now that i can certainly uh, imagine <laughs> the uh, uh the service industry are interesting and they are funny right and i forget one woman saying so what are we supposed to be babysitters for these people because they're if they overserve someone whatever yeah. they're liable and i said well the babysitter or a defendant take your choice Exactly. Okay, and uh, like that, but uh, that that kind of thing. So it's it's kind of fun. It's challenging uh, to get into um, some of the stuff that I, I get to talk about. That's great. And oh, what about, what about personally? What changes or what's been the hardest part? Would you say for you? Our friends, our friends. We've got many close friends that we're used to seeing, mm -hmm. and. Uh, we have adapted. Uh, uh, when the weather's warm enough, we get together with friends outside on the patio and um, um, like that. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time on the phone. But uh, that's really been the, the, you know, not seeing family and not seeing friends has been the, uh, the biggest. Uh, yeah, that's that socialization piece we were talking about that we see personally and professionally, that it's hard not to um, be stripped of that ability uh, to interact with people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you think, if and in any way, that we can tell at this short period of time, that the pandemic has affected the law? Well, all I can really talk about is New York State. And... Oh, yeah. um, we were kind of uh, lucky in terms of that we had the right people in the right place at the right time. Interesting to see in years to come, what changes come to many industries, including law, has the pandemic, like you said, perhaps use technology more, the different ways that we change um, when we're forced or able or willing to. <laughs> you can pick your verb, <laughs> how it feels, yeah. Well, I think institutionally, we're again uh, just looking at New York, like the State Bar Association that does a lot of training, and I lecture for them. They immediately started on putting on programs to teach lawyers how to use the technology, how to adapt. Right. They literally started a support group for lawyers that you know, our practice wasn't that dramatically affected, but other lawyers were, and so they, they started a like a support group, you know, remotely by uh, Zoom. Right. Uh, that, that meets uh, once a week uh, for lawyers just to discuss their issues and problems. 
terrific because that has been a big piece, of course, as you mentioned earlier, is the mental health piece. Um, yeah. yeah, it's been huge in, I can't think of an industry that it hasn't hit and it hits more um, when there's people who are in the restaurant um, industry, any service industry at this point, there's very few that have been untouched. Um, some of us like myself are so busy, our head is spinning and others wish they were that busy. Yeah, it's been dramatic for many people. What would you say in these very, very unique times of so much change, what gives you hope for the future? Well, the, the obvious hope is the, the vaccines that A, they are effective, B, mm -hmm. that they don't create their own problems, which is the big concern because you don't know what the impact they're going to have five, 10 years from now, and they're gonna be rushed into uh, treating people. Um, it's, I'm hoping that we learn as a nation, you know, history is gonna judge us pretty harshly for this period of time because Americans simply refused and are continuing to refuse to address this public health crisis. And as a result, we're dying like flies. I mean, it's, it, it's you know, totally, it's incomprehensible. They're looking at necessary public health measures as a political oppression. And, you know, it, it's got nothing to do with that. But we have, as a nation, uh, responded poorly. Yeah, we didn't get any kind of national leadership, but we're the American people. We don't need any kind of national leadership. We have state and local leadership. Uh, and in the past, when Americans realized, recognized the necessity of something, they rallied and, and did it. I grew up in small town America, Grand Gorge, New York, population, you know, 500. There was no police department. What there was, was the American Legion uh, and uh, the fire department, who were essentially the same people. And, um, you know, it was an, something happened, it was an emergency, they came out, you know, they, didn't, weren't, they weren't reliant on law enforcement. When I was a kid, my idea of what police did was that uh, local guys would capture the criminals and the police were there as a place to turn them over. Right. It didn't occur to me that the cops actually did anything other than that. Um, but no, it was, neighbor, it was neighbors helping the person looking, back, looking out for them, absolutely. Yeah, and if that generation were still in charge, I don't think we'd be seeing what we're seeing. But what we're seeing is really uh, people who are self-indulgent and are confusing uh, a principled assertion of right with just you know stupidity. And it amazes me with 245,000 people dead, um, you would think that you know every one of these individuals you know has uh, has a mother. I think there's a law about that. They all had to have moms. And their parents are in jeopardy and they're going out and doing this stuff and placing their parents in jeopardy and discouraging others from uh, wearing masks and social distancing and all of that. And it appalls me. It's just, uh, I am in shock uh, looking at this and looking at the, the numbers and our grandchildren are gonna be asking questions 
about how come you guys didn't respond to this? You know, I think that one of my theories is that um, because of the age of digital devices, um, we, uh, world people, uh, became more on our computer and then tablets and then phones. You know, the device kept getting smaller and smaller. Um, and that takes our world down to about that. And therefore it becomes more about us if we're not made or willing to continue to see the big picture. So I have to say one of my hopes is that this will force um, people to begin to look at the big picture because they won't have a choice. And that it's not just all about me and who I can block on Facebook and yeah. whatever. Yeah, I, uh, it's gonna be interesting to see with the new administration coming in and with a president who is going to address this. Right. To see whether people, that will be enough to get people to fall into line. But it would seem to me that just the body count around them would, would do that. But I, I think it's a real deterioration of, of the American community and of this, of this, you know, the, what used to be, which was a mutual support kind of thing. Right. Uh, I can remember uh, when I was a kid in this classic illustration of what community meant. Uh, Alvin Conroe's barn caught on fire, which was behind the speed store, which was in the center of our town. And the fire department was out there, which meant, you know, American Legionnaires and all these guys trying to put it out, but they needed more help. So they had all of us, older, the older kids, get out there, and there were four or five of us manning those hoses, and women were bringing sandwiches out to the scene of the fire. Um, it was a whole community turned out to, to fight that fire. And, you know, that's what, that's my kind of image of what America is supposed to be, uh, of a community and people, you know, coming together to fight a, a common threat. And that's what we're not seeing here. And well, I think you're not seeing it everywhere, but consider New York City and what happened when um, because of all the airports there, the pandemic uh, became ground zero. And look how many people came out every night to clap for the, the people or give them masks or water, uh, the frontline workers. So I think it still continues to happen. Yeah, that's a good point. That's you know? um, that is encouraging. And, you know, one of my earlier podcasts was with Emily Phillips, who made ear savers, uh, pieces of crochet with buttons on them that you put around the back of your head so that the loops of the mask go on the buttons, not on your ears. Uh -huh. and with many people around the country, over 5,000 were made for this area and beyond. And oh. all of it was free except for shipping. People donated buttons and yarn and sewed and crocheted or delivered. There was something everybody could do or went to mail them. And so yeah. I think we're still seeing those things. Maybe that's not what's on the evening news, but I still think that it's there. I think we just maybe have to look a little bit harder. Yeah, I think you got a, that's, that's a very good point. Those things are encouraging. Right. Uh, you see people doing that. 
Terrific. No. Well, then I'll encourage you to watch the other of my podcasts and you might find some more hope because that's what this is all about. <laughs> <laughs> well, Peter, thank you. I really, really appreciate you being my guest today. Oh, and my it's pleasure. Been a pleasure to um, have you as a guest when we're talking about same storm, different boats, everyone has a story and a different perspective on this. So thank you for sharing both personally and professionally how this has been for you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take care now. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.